word. Now this our communion uh, service, our monthly communion service. We always like to emphasize that the Lord's table has always been central, pivotal to the worship of the Christian church. And this institution marks it very clearly as an ordinance of the New Testament uh, dispensation. So in Mark 26, 26 to 35, uh, sorry, Matthew 26, 26 to 35, Mark 14, 22 to 25, and Luke 22, 7 to uh, 15, you will find all of the narratives of the institution of this New Testament ordinance. You'll remember how Jesus desired to celebrate the Jewish Passover with his disciples one more time before he died. And so very specific arrangements were made by him where this event with his disciples was to be observed and it was observed in that upper room. And there Jesus would observe the Passover for the last occasion. And during the observance of the Passover meal, with all of its ritual and, and with all of its routine, Jesus changed the wording. It's only Jesus who can change the wording. Nobody else can do it because he is the Lord. And he informed the disciples that the bread was his body, which would be broken for them. Luke 22, 19, he took the bread and gave thanks and break it and gave unto them saying, this is my body which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. And in like manner he changed the liturgy of the Passover and he declared the wine that was in the cup which was used for the Passover would now symbolize uh, his blood which was shed for their redemption. Luke 22 and 20. This cup is the New Testament in my blood which is shed for you. So in that upper room, I believe something very uh, wonderful happened at that final Passover meal because here in the upper room, the New Testament era of redemptive history was born. That's where it started. The new covenant began when the Lord Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. And the symbolism could not have been any more striking. The Passover meal was a remembrance, a very specific remembrance of the deliverance of the Israelites from Egypt and from the final plague of death which was to befall the land. And so at that uh, Passover meal, Christ instituted a memorial of his death, his death by which his people would be delivered from the judgment of God upon sin, which was not just death physical but death eternal and as I reread those chapters in Exodus chapter 11 12 13 this week I was struck again by all of the lessons from the Passover meal which teach us about Christ and about the final sacrifice for sin you will never understand the communion feast the Lord's table until you understand at least something of what happened in the upper room at that final Passover meal. I love the commentaries, well, uh, most of them, of A.W. Pink. And I, I took them down in Exodus and I started to reread it. And I thought, wow, there's such a, a wealth of material in there. We'll never, we would never get through all of that in one meeting. And so I just want to look at highlights from Exodus chapter 12 and helps that have been given 
by Pink in his wonderful commentary on this uh, important passage of Scripture because it's important for you and I to understand as we sang in that uh, lovely opening paraphrase, "'Tis finished legal worship ends, and gospel ages run. All old things now are passed away, and a new world has begun." Our forefathers said that the new and the old is concealed and the old and the new is revealed. In other words, concealed in the Old Testament scriptures, there's types, there's prophecies, there's ceremonies which point us to the promised Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ and his work for sinners. And then inversely, in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit reveals what those Old Testament types, prophecies, uh, were all fulfilled in Christ. So as the Passover foreshadowed Christ and his sacrificial work, this table that we partake of today and sit at today, it reminds us once again how all of that was fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ and shows us our standing before God in grace. So as we look at it, the first lesson that we glean from the Passover is simply this, salvation. Salvation is all of God. It's all of grace. We read in Exodus chapter 12 and verse 11, it's emphasized to us how you shall eat it with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, your staff in your hand, and ye shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. It is Jehovah's Passover. In chapter 12, we're given the date of the Passover. In chapter 12, we're given the details pertaining to the sacrifice. In chapter 12, we're told about the actual death of the sacrifice. In chapter 12, we're, we're, we're taught about the duty of those uh, who will partake uh, at that feast. There were pilgrims. They were soon to be moved out of Egypt where they had been and their generations for some 400 years. They were on the move. They were going to the promised land. And as pilgrims, they had to have their loins girded, their shoes on, their staff in their hand. But here was a feast they were to partake of in their pilgrimage. And what a picture. We're pilgrims. We're not here to stay. We're just passing through. And as we pass through this scene of time, we are to remind ourselves of this momentous night that happened in Exodus chapter 12 and its fulfillment and the cross of Calvary and all that it means to us as the people of God. And it's so significant because it's designated in a very special way. And what's the designation? This is the Lord's Passover. This is the Lord's Passover. And the Passover, which centered upon the Paschal Lamb, it obtains its spiritual significance because it pointed to Christ. That's what set it apart. Paul took that up in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 and 8. He said, Purge out therefore the old leaven. The leaven was the yeast that you put in the bread that made it to rise. And the leaven uh, spoke of sin, as we read in Romans chapter 7. So we're to purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump as ye are unleavened. For even Christ, 
our Passover is sacrificed for us. As we've been saying over the past weeks, all of those pictures of the church in the New Testament, they're rooted and grounded in the imagery of the Old Testament. And here we have another linkage. The very center of all Christian theology is linked in with Exodus chapter 12. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. The work of the Paschal Lamb <clears throat> in delivering God's people was his plan. That's what I want to emphasize to you. It was his Passover. Moses and the children of Israel could never have conjured up such a plan. They had watched the, the great nation, the great superpower of that ancient world been taken apart step by step in those ten plagues. And as they came to the tenth plague, how were they going to survive the avenging angel of death that would go through the land of Egypt and smite down all the firstborn in the land? How were they going to survive? Could Moses eh, make a plan, the great leader that he was? Could Aaron make a joint plan with him? Could the elders of Israel make a plan that would save the firstborn of the nation? They had no plan. There was nothing they could have done that would have prevented uh, their firstborn being smitten and being killed in, in the judgment that was to befall the land that night. But God had an eternal plan. It was his plan. It was the Lord's Passover. And the Lord's Passover to us where we are in this uh, New Testament age of the covenant is now the Lord's table. And that's the significance. The Lord's Passover is now the Lord's table. The Passover lamb is now Christ sacrificed for us. What a message we have to proclaim today. The death of the lamb was primarily Godward. We often think of the death of Christ on Calvary and all of the benefits that we receive. But brethren and sisters, primarily the death of the lamb at Calvary was Godward. It was Godward. In Exodus, in, in, sorry, in Genesis chapter 22 and verse 8, we read about the first references to the Lamb. Genesis 22, 7 and 8. <clears throat> Remember when Isaac was going up the mountain with Abraham, he stopped and, and he asked his father because they had all of the stuff for the sacrifice and he knew he was going up uh, for the sacrifice on Mount Moriah. And he said, where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Where is the lamb? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. It was not merely that Abraham was going to have an alternative substitutionary sacrifice provided for him. The verse very specifically says, God himself will provide the lamb. It was nobody else. God himself provided the lamb. And the lamb was provided to glorify God. Even if nobody was ever saved through the sacrifice, God was still glorified by the sacrifice. The lamb glorified God. It vindicated his justice. It magnified his holiness. It manifested his mercy and his grace. Christ, our Passover. 
he was from eternity, the Lamb. The Lamb slain from before the very foundation of the world. I, I sometimes be amazed at, at a Christian who, who say God had no plan. And then he had an alternative plan. God had ever only one plan. He'd ever, he'd ever only one plan. And that was Christ, the Passover lamb. Verse 27 emphasizes the sacrificial nature of the Passover. Verse 27 tells us that ye shall say it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. Verse 25 of chapter 34 of Exodus said, it is the sacrifice of the feast of the Passover. You know, the Bible teaches us that this initiation of the Passover in Exodus chapter 12, it was a sacrifice. Yeah, it, it was a fellowship meal. It was a time when the children of Israel would gather together. They would recount the mercies of God. They would enjoy communion, fellowship, and succor one from the other. But primarily, it was a sacrifice. The Bible teaches that after Exodus chapter 12, the sacrifice was never slain again in any other place other than where God had chosen. Deuteronomy chapter 16, 4 to 5. The Israelites now had to slay the sacrifice, not in their homes, but in the place where God had chosen. And that place became the tabernacle, and it later became the temple. <clears throat> in Second Chronicles 30, 15, 16, we read, Then they killed the Passover on the 14th day of the second month. And the priests and the Levites were ashamed and sanctified themselves and brought in the burnt offerings into the house of the Lord. And they stood in their place after their manner, according to the law of Moses, Exodus chapter 12, the man of God. The priests sprinkled the blood which they received of the hand of the Levites. The Passover lamb was primarily a, a propitiatory sacrifice. It was made to placate the wrath of a sin-hating God. We read that Paul took this up, Ephesians 5 and 2. He said, it is a sacrifice to God. Jesus has given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God. It wasn't a sacrifice to men. It was a sacrifice to God. And it says it was for a sweet-smelling savor. You imagine if you'd have been in the temple or the tabernacle the burnt offering would have been laid on the altar and the flesh of the animal would have been consumed. The, the smell of that would have, would have encompassed all who were there that day. Death has its own aroma. But this sacrifice to God was a sweet-smelling savour. In Romans 3.25, we read those great words, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. The saving work of the Lord Jesus Christ, which we remember today, it's all of grace. 
the Lord's Passover is God's great plan of salvation. And it's all of God's grace. Did you and I have any part in it? None. It's all of grace. We bow before sovereign grace today. And we praise him. We thank him from the depths of our heart for providing a way of escape for our unworthy souls. There's another major lesson from Exodus chapter 12 we'll look at secondly. And it is that the, the, the shed blood, it had to be sprinkled or it had to be applied. The sacrificial lamb had to die. Death had to visit. Judgment had to be passed. It had to be passed either upon the guilty or upon the innocent. And the sentence of divine justice, it was all encompassing. In Exodus 11 and 4 and 5 we read, the Lord said to Moses, about midnight will I go out into the midst of Egypt, the darkest hour. And all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh that sitteth upon his throne, even unto the firstborn of the maid servant that is behind the mill, and all the firstborn of beasts. What, what death visited Egypt that night? The Bible does not say all the firstborn of the Egyptians shall die. The Bible rather said all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. And what does that teach me? It teaches me that God is no respecter of persons. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We ought not to think that we're better than anybody else. There's no difference. God found us all uh, on the plain of Romans 3 and 23. We're all of sin and come short of the glory of God. But God in grace provided a way of escape. And that way of escape by grace was revealed to Moses and the children of Israel. And God said he would pass his judgment not upon the guilty, but upon the innocent substitute, upon the lamb. Justice still had to be satisfied. Redemption could only be made on a righteous basis. And thus God passed the divine sentence of justice and declared that substitute guilty in his sight and thus worthy of death and thus worthy of judgment. Here we have a wonderful summary of God's plan of salvation. It's all wonderfully foreshadowed for us here because in the fullness of time, God provided his son as the sacrificial lamb. And upon the son, he put the guilt of all of his people. And he died in their room and in their stead. It was grace that made the difference and provided the means of escape. The blood of God's lamb, his own dear son, was shed in the, the guilty room instead of the guilty. And the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, he, he points out the sacrificial nature of, of God's lamb. We have heard this verse preached on many times, even in the past few weeks here and on alone. John 1, 29, that great statement of John the Baptist, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. Behold the Lamb of God. What was that a reference to? The Paschal Lamb, Exodus chapter 12. 
in 1 Corinthians, we've already referenced verse 7, but verse 8 says, Therefore, let us keep the feast. 1 Corinthians 5 and 8. Let us keep the feast. Let us keep the Passover. Christian, let us keep the feast of the Lord's table. Christian, observe the Lord's table. Let's do. It's not a choice. Let us keep the feast. Let's do. The, the ritual in the Passover, it teaches us that the blood of this innocent uh, victim had to be taken and sprinkled upon uh, the lintels of the doorposts of the house where the children of Israel stayed. Now, the shedding of the blood it teaches us about the importance of propitiation. I was looking up this word again. It's used in Romans 3, 25, 1 John 4 and 10. Herein is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. It's a great theological, biblical word. It's translated in the alternative marginal readings of our A.V., King James Version, in the following manner, as the wrath-ending sacrifice by which the Lord Jesus Christ secured his people's pardon. Think of all of that. What was the Paschal Lamb? What do we remember at the Lord's table? We remember the wrath-ending sacrifice of God's Lamb. The sprinkling of the blood teaches us about propitiation, but it also teaches us about appropriation. An Israelite could have followed all the rituals, but if they had admitted to apply the blood to the doorposts of their home and the lintels of the doors on their home, the death angel would have entered regardless. It was not religion alone that could save them. It was not ritual alone that could save them. The means had to be applied. Had to be appropriated. On a like manner for the sinner, for the sacrifice of Christ. Christ's sacrifice will stand and does stand for all eternity. But the blood of that sacrifice has to be, a, by faith, appropriated. The Savior provided has to be received. Personal faith has to be exercised in his shed blood. We looked at that verse last Sunday evening, Romans 3 and 25. And it speaks there of faith in his blood. That's a wonderful gospel summary, isn't it? And I want to ask you today, do you have faith in Christ's blood? Somebody just said to you at death's door, what are you trusting in to get you into heaven? What would you say? Well, I joined the church. I was baptized. I paid into it. No, men and women, none of those things will get you into heaven. It's faith in Christ's blood alone that will get you into heaven. Have you put your trust in it today? For pardon and remission of your sins. For that's what it means for the blood to be appropriated. Just as the Israelite had to take the hyssop and dip the hyssop, that little bunch of herbs, into the shed blood and then daub it upon the doorpost. So faith comes to God through Christ and the blood is appropriated into the life and marked upon the heart 
and upon their life. We're glad today we're part of the blood-washed flock of God. We've used that phrase in past weeks. And as God looks into the gathering, he looks into every heart and every life, and he sees those hearts and lives that have the mark of the blood upon it. Could we close today by saying thirdly, that we learn from the Passover how secure is the standing of the people of God on the judgment day. I think that the Israelites would have been less than normal not to be fearful. What a frightful night it must have been when at midnight the death angel stalked the land of Egypt. Death was at work. The Israelites heard the cries of the Egyptians. Can you imagine the lamentations that must have went up from the homes that had been visited by the death angels. But the security of those who were sheltering neath the blood. They had security. The security of those that were sheltering neath the blood of the Paschal Lamb was absolute. They were safe. There was a place of safe refuge. And where was that place of safe refuge? In a fortress, in a strong room? No. It was just sheltering underneath. The sprinkled blood. That which brought peace and security to the heart of the Israelite was the promise of God. They had exercised faith in what God had said and now they were trusting. And that's the basis of our assurance. I want to emphasize to you today, assurance is grounded upon what God has said in his own holy word. Nothing else. How can you have assurance of salvation? Simply by believing what God has said in his word. Nothing else. Can you imagine that young boy? And he says to his father, Father, are we safe? He's the firstborn. And the father says, we have killed the lamb. The blood has been applied. The boy might ask the father again. But will it be enough? How can we be sure? And that devout Israelite of old would have reminded his son of what God had said. And he would take him back to what God had said. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. That's our assurance. We have nothing more to rest on than what God has given to us in his word. Maybe you lack assurance today. Maybe you don't know whether you're saved or you're not saved because you're trusting in externals. You're looking for signs and wonders. But brethren and sisters, it's all in what God has already said in his word. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. I was reading again at the weekend those wonderful chapters in our Confession of Faith in the Westminster Confession, chapter 17, the perseverance of the saints. Saints persevere. That's great to know. But in chapter 18, it tells me about the assurance of grace and salvation. Those who have the mark of the blood upon them, they'll persevere. Those who have the mark of the blood upon them, they have assurance of grace and salvation. That's a wonderful truth to know. Let me read to you. I'll not go through all <coughs> of what is written here, but I just lifted out some uh, sections. Chapter 18, section 1 and 2. Such as truly believe in the Lord Jesus and love him in sincerity, 
endeavouring to walk in all good conscience before him. May in this life. You see, we have many of our Roman Catholic neighbours and they have no assurance in this life. They can't have assurance whether they're going to get into purgatory or whether they're going to get into heaven and they die and they leave no assurance behind them. But here was what our Protestant forefathers said, that in this life you may be certainly assured that you're in a state of grace and may rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, which hope shall never make them ashamed. Section 2 goes further and it speaks about an infallible assurance of faith grounded upon the divine truth of the promises of salvation. That's amazing. I, I wrote that all out because it, it struck my mind again. It is possible for a Christian to possess an infallible assurance of faith founded upon the divine truth of the promises of salvation. That's what it means to be secure. I'm glad we believe in the eternal security of the saints of God. They're saved for time and for all eternity. I love the hymns of Top Lady. <clears throat> Sometimes they're not easily sung, but I think the words of them, they are unequaled. Top Lady wrote these words, If thou hast my discharge procured, and freely in my room endured the wrath, the whole of wrath divine. Payment God cannot twice demand, first at my bleeding surety's hand, and then again at mine. Presently, eternally, you can be sure that you're saved. When? When you're sheltering neath the blood of the Lamb. Will the devil come and put fears in your mind? Yes. Will the cries of those round about you, just like in that night of the Passover in Exodus 12, not put apprehension in your soul? Yes. But our security is grounded and founded upon what God has said. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. That's why we keep this table. You know, I need to be reminded constantly how secure I am in the Lord Jesus Christ. I need that. Because I do listen. I do listen to the cries of the Egyptians round about me. I can't not help but do it. I hear them. I see what is happening as you hear and you see what is happening. But what has God left us with? Just his word. Nothing more, nothing less. Just his word. And that's our assurance today. When I see the blood, I will pass over 